0: Listening to the Miracle Word Podcast. We believe that the Word of God gives you the power to experience never-ending increase in every area. If you're ready for revelation that will take you to the next level, you're in the right place. Here's your host, evangelist, author, and founder of Miracle Word University, Ted Shuttlesworth Jr. Glad you're on. Today's part two of this series that we started for the week. Um, where we're talking about the nine types of prayer that move God's hand, the nine types of prayer. I've been able to find nine different types of prayer in the Bible. And um, that's what we're covering this week because it's funny. I feel like some people don't even recognize the fact that there are different types of prayer. Some people just think prayer is prayer, but uh, it's like one somebody, a preacher said to Brother Hagin one time when he was preaching on prayer, he said, well, prayer's is prayer, isn't it? Prayers, is, you know, and he was, t- Brother Hagin was teaching on, though, you know, we pray, there are types of prayer and they're not all governed by the same rules. And a preacher came up to him afterwards and said, well, Brother Hagin, prayer is prayer, isn't it? He said, yeah, prayer is prayer and sports is sports, but you don't play all sports by the same rules. If you try to play football with basketball rules, you're gonna be in trouble. If you try to play soccer with hockey rules, you're gonna be in trouble. Uh, Sports is sports, but they're not all played by the same rules. Prayer is prayer, but they don't all operate in the same way. All prayers don't operate in the same way. I'm teaching on that this week because the Lord began to impress to me, it's time for us to pray as the church like we've never prayed before to go to another level in our prayer life, our devotional life. And um, I felt very strongly at the end of last year that it was time to pray in the Spirit more than we've ever prayed before, pray in tongues. And if you missed yesterday's broadcast, I devoted the entire broadcast to teaching on that one type of prayer, praying in tongues or praying in the Spirit. And um, you need to go back and watch that if you missed it. But we'll have all of these... Uh, videos from this week of this week series in a playlist for you on uh, YouTube at the end of the week, so you'll be able to go back at any time and see all of this. But uh, today we're going to cover two different types of prayer, and for the rest of the week, each day we will cover two different types of prayer, so that we can give you the whole nine. But we've taken two main texts, two main texts uh, for this whole week about prayer. Um, the first one is found in the Gospel of John, chapter 15. And verse number seven, when I was in Bible school, Brother Hagin came and taught us for an entire year on the subject of prayer. And he used this one verse of scripture as the main text for the entire year. I remember thinking, how is he gonna come in for a whole year of classes and teach on prayer, but only from one main uh, passage, one main verse? And he did it, and it was powerful. And every day was deep and different. And he had revelation that obviously many people have never heard, but John 15, seven, Is where we're starting again today Jesus is speaking here and he says if you abide in me and my words abide in you ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you and then I included verse 8 by this my father's glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples so look at what Jesus said if you number one abide in me well everybody that's watching if you're saved You're abiding in him. You're abiding in Christ. If you abide in me, but that's not all he said. There was a second prerequisite. And my words abide in you. Then you can ask whatever you will and it shall be done for you. So recognize this. The word of God is extremely important when it comes to prayer. In fact, if you're taking notes today, and thank you for those that are writing the verses um, on Facebook and YouTube in the comments for people that watch later. Because I don't have time to always slow down. People are like, what was number one? What verse was that? Just look in the comments. There are people helping you. But um, it's very interesting. I would write this down. The word of God is the most important element in prayer. I know people maybe have never heard that before. Or maybe that's never been taught before. But I want you to write it in in your notes. Write it in the comments. The word of God is the most important element in prayer. I'm going to say it one more time. The word of God is the most important element in prayer. That's why uh, even when we give you the prayer points that we give you, there are always verses of scripture attached to the prayer points. Why? Because God is watching over his word to perform it. Our Our prayers have to be backed up by God's word. If our prayers are not backed up by God's word, they're useless prayers. God does not answer things or operate and do things that are outside of the parameters of his word. He's watching over his word to perform it. His word goes out and never returns empty or void, but always accomplishes what he sends it to do. It's his word that he performs. It's his word that he manifests. So when we pray, we're praying according to his word. Yeah. AJ said, praying with an open Bible, having specific scriptures concerning my petitions made my prayer life become miraculous. Absolutely. Because God is watching over his word to perform it. No question about that. And welcome everybody that's jumping on. Please take a minute to share this broadcast today. Let's get it out. Uh, help YouTube, YouTube and the algorithm share this to more people. People need to see this. Why do you say that? I've, been blown away as I travel so many people are in need so many people are in need of a miracle a touch from God in fact even when people try to act as though everything's cool as it's the Bible says um, there are those who laugh but their laughter conceals a heavy heart not everybody that's laughings happy not everybody that's smiling is doing well people are hurting people are in need and what do they need a touch from God it's the only thing that's going to change them and so the word of God is the most important element in prayer. Jesus said, If you abide in me, and my words abide in you. There it is. And my words abide in you. You can ask what you will, and it shall be done. So that's our first passage. The second one that we looked at yesterday is James chapter 5 and um, verse number 16. Let me read that to you. James 5:16. Therefore, confess your sins. one another and pray for one another. Why? That you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it's working. Let me say that again. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it's working. One more time. The prayer of a righteous person. You could say it this way. My prayers have great power as they work. My prayers, make it personal, my prayers have great power as they work. Prayer releases power. I couldn't believe I was getting some pushback. Uh, people wrote me, I wrote something on, online, and people didn't understand it. They said, um, you know, I made the comment, you don't need more anointing, you don't need more power. You just need to learn how to release the anointing that you have, to release the power that you have. And it's like people had never heard that. Some people said to me, What do you mean by that? That that most people don't know how to release the power of God or release the anointing of God. Every believer has the Holy Spirit living within them, the Bible teaches. And then those who are baptized in the Holy Ghost, according to Jesus, you shall receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you and you'll be my witnesses. The Holy Spirit is the spirit of power, he's the spirit of truth, he's the spirit of peace, he's the spirit of power. So understand something, if you've got the Holy Ghost, resurrection power is living in your body. The same spirit that raised Christ up from the dead dwells in your body. You don't get more, there's no more power than that. There's no greater power than the power of the Holy Ghost. None, and you've got the power of the Holy Ghost. But the key is we've got to be able to release that power to those that are in need. And though that's not what I'm teaching on, one thing that I want you to catch is prayer allows you to release the power of God. Prayer, you have to be a person of prayer if you're going to release the power of God to touch your generation. Jesus made that clear in Mark chapter 9. And he told the disciples who had just failed in casting a demon out of a young man. And when they asked him after he cast the demon out, Lord, why could we not cast that demon out? Jesus replied and said, this kind of demon does not come out except by prayer, except by prayer. The earliest and best manuscripts we have say that. Except by prayer later manuscripts scribes added and fasting because they knew the church's penchant for fasting They were uh, people that on a weekly basis fasted two days every week. They knew the Lord Jesus was a man of fasting and prayer But the most early and best manuscripts that we have say this kind of demon does not come out except by prayer Again, remember fasting is just a supplement to prayer. If you fast without praying, you're just starving fasting by itself does nothing. It's only a supplement to prayer. And so Jesus was letting the disciples know the reason you weren't able to release sufficient power to cast this demon out is because you have not been praying like you should. We see that that was a, a standard thing with his disciples. Even in the garden of Gethsemane, Matthew 26, he called them out to pray in the evening. And uh, he went away a little further to pray, came back after one hour, and they were all sleeping. He woke them up. Could you not tarry with me for one hour? Jesus talked about an hour of prayer like it wasn't that long a time. Could you not pray with me for one hour? Woke them up, went back, came back again, they're sleeping again. So the disciples at that moment were kind of lacking dedication in the prayer area. They were lacking dedication in the prayer area, and it was Uh, hurting their ability to manifest God's power, even though he'd given them authority and power. Prayer releases power. Prayer carries power. No question about it. Prayer moves the hand of God. When Dr. Cho built the largest church in the world, his mother-in-law said the reason for it was that we pray, 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 and we fast, fast, fast. That was their church growth strategy. We pray, 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 and we fast, fast, fast. That was it. And so, uh, prayer releases power. There's no question about it. Jesus was a man of prayer and he was a man of power. The only thing the disciples ever asked Jesus was Lord, teach us to pray, teach us to pray. They needed to understand you have unlimited ability to do the work of God. And we can see that it's from your prayer life. Teach us to pray like you pray. It's not that nobody had ever prayed before in the history of the world. There's plenty of people that had prayed that were followers of God. But something about Jesus was different, and they understood that about him. What kind of man is this that even the wind and the waves obey him? Lord, teach us to pray like you pray. They knew his prayer life was opening doors for the power to be released. And so prayer is vital. Prayer carries power. Prayer carries power. Uh, I said it yesterday, the quote from E.M. Bounds, much prayer, much power, little prayer, little power, no prayer, no power. The level to which you dedicate yourself to prayer is the level to which you will see power manifested in your life as a believer. And I wanted to help you with that. We have an entire course that we do in Miracle Word University entitled Answered Prayer. I take about five or six hours to teach all of these different principles about about prayer. We literally get into scripture. What is prayer? Why should we pray scripturally? Uh, Talk about what are the benefits of prayer? What are the 12 keys in the Bible that bring answers to prayer? You know, what are the three prayers God doesn't hear? What's the biblical order of prayer? What about fasting and prayer? I cover all of these things in this Answered Prayer course. During this week where we're teaching on prayer, I'm giving you $10 off of the course. All you have to do when you go to MiracleWordU.com and you select that Answered Prayer course to check out, if you'll enter the code PRAYER10 in the checkout, that's your code, discount code, PRAYER10. I'll give you $10 off of the course I'm encouraging you to get into it because it will change your life. Prayer and understanding prayer will change your life. And so if you go to MiracleWordU.com and click on the Answered Prayer course and check out using Prayer 10, you get that $10 off as you're checking out. So today I'm covering two more types of prayer. The first one that I want to cover today is the prayer of repentance, the prayer of of repentance that's number two we began yesterday with prayer in the spirit spirit prayer that's praying in tongues but i want to as we launch into the types of prayer that are not tongues prayer in your known language i want to start with the prayer of repentance because it's the first prayer god hears from any person it's the first prayer that god hears from any person you say why is it the first prayer That God hears. Because as David said, if I had regarded iniquity in my heart, sin, then the Lord would not hear my prayers. It's repeated again in the New Testament. In 1 Peter 3, Peter writes that the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are open to their prayers. Whose prayers? The righteous open to the righteous, but not everybody's God's God's ears are not open to everybody's prayers, only the righteous. And so the only prayer, uh, that God hears from an unbeliever is the prayer of repentance. And that's what I'm covering in number two prayer of repentance. Um, I want to look with you at Romans chapter 10 first, And we're going to look at what what we call the Roman road. This is Paul's uh, teaching to the Romans about how somebody gets saved, how somebody receives Christ as their savior. And this is how it works. Um, And he asks questions to move their minds along this track, right? What what does it say? The Bible says uh, in verse 11, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. And verse 13 Romans 10, 13, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. But here's the question. Verse 14, he starts the questions. How then will they call on him in whom they've not believed? So how can you call on the Lord if you don't believe in the Lord? But then how can they believe in someone in whom they've never heard? You can't believe something you've never heard about before. And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can they preach unless they're sent? And as it's written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. So let's jump back to verses nine and 10, right? Verse nine and 10 says this, because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. Okay, so let's let's hit this real quick. First of all, the point Paul's trying to make here is that nobody can just choose to be saved. You can't just choose to be saved. There are people in parts of the world, even today and throughout the ages, that did not or have not heard the gospel of Jesus Christ. Paul's very clear here. If you never hear the gospel, you don't have the ability to be saved. You don't. Because the, that's why he says at the beginning of Romans chapter 1, verse 16, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation. Paul's very clear. It's the gospel that is the power unto salvation. The gospel is the vehicle that allows a man or woman to come into salvation. Without the gospel, there's no salvation. I know that's hard for people to hear. I know people would love to believe some other doctrine that like, if people never hear the gospel, then maybe God sends angels to preach to them, or maybe, you know, maybe somebody, something else happens, or maybe he just judges them on their heart about, you know, how good of a life they've lived even without the gospel. And, you know, by his merciful hand, I've even heard some preachers preach, you know, if somebody never gets a chance to hear the gospel, then because God is just and fair, he allows them into heaven because they didn't have a chance to be saved. Nope. That's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches the opposite, that nobody can believe on Jesus if they've not received the gospel message. That's why the gospel message is so urgent to get out. That's why the Great Commission is so urgent to get out. Because without the gospel, people die and go to hell. Remember that the Bible teaches that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, that we're all born in sin and shapen in iniquity. There's not one person on this earth that is born into righteousness. Only Jesus was born without sin. Every other person that was ever born was born into sin. No other person besides Christ. None was born without sin. Only Christ was. And understand this, um, They're judged, uh, Gina, to answer Gina's question, she says, wouldn't they be judged by the law if they never heard the gospel? No, they've never even heard the law. How can you be judged by the law? You've never even heard the law. If you've never heard the gospel, you've not heard the Old Testament. So uh, you're judged because of the sin that you're born into. Every person that's born is on their way to hell unless their path is diverted. Let me say that again. Every person that's born is on their way to hell unless their path is diverted. Now, that's not what I'm teaching on today. I'm teaching on the prayer of repentance, but I want you to understand why it's so powerful what Paul said, that you can't be saved. You can't believe on somebody that you've never heard about. You can't call on someone in whom you don't believe. Right? So that's why the gospel is so important. That's why preaching it's so important. That's why we go so hard and nonstop. Because we're living in a generation where people must hear the gospel before it's too late. Jesus is coming soon. And this prayer of repentance is not possible. You can't come into the kingdom without the vehicle of the gospel. And angels don't preach the gospel. The Bible shows us that. The Bible proves that. The angels don't preach the gospel. It's a task That's only been given to the church, to the church. Jesus is in heaven. He's not on the earth preaching the gospel. He's seated at the right hand of the father, making intercession for you and preparing a place for you. He's not down here preaching the gospel. We've been given the job of preaching the gospel message to this world before it's too late. Go into all the world, preach the gospel to every creature. Those that believe and are baptized will be saved. Those that do not believe will be damned. And so it's important that people hear the gospel message. Well, when they do, the gospel empowers someone who is dead in trespasses and in sins. It empowers that person to be saved. It's the calling of God. The Bible says no man can be saved unless the spirit of God draws him. Nobody can be saved. That's why somebody can't just decide to be saved. They have to have heard the gospel message and the spirit of God draws and they answer the call. They answer the call. Can you reject the call? You can, you can reject the call, but the gospel is what allows you to be saved. It allows you to receive Christ as your savior. Faith comes. And that's why he says this in Romans chapter 10 and verse 17. He says this, um, faith comes. By what? Hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. Verse 16, but they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he's heard from us? So faith comes through hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. So see, you can't even have faith in Christ without the word of Christ. That's the gospel. So, so catch this now. Once you do. You come into the kingdom by what? What did he say are the two things that must happen for a per- what? It, what is uh, the prayer of repentance? What is the prayer of salvation? It is number one, confessing that Jesus is Lord. It's confessing that Jesus is Lord. But what else is it? It's believing in your heart. God raised him from the dead. You can't even believe that message if you've never had anybody tell you about it. It's like when Paul went to Ephesus in Acts chapter uh, 19, and he finds the 12 men there and says, hey, have you received the Holy Ghost since you believed? You know what their answer was? We've We've never even heard there is a Holy Ghost. So what was the point? They couldn't receive something or believe something that they'd never heard of before. So Paul says, then what baptism were you baptized with? They said, John's baptism. He said, no. That was just baptism of repentance. But then he tells them about the message of Christ and they are immediately baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. And then he lays his hands upon all 12 men and they all receive the Holy Ghost and begin to speak with other tongues and prophesy. Why didn't they have that before? It's not like they weren't open to repentance. They received John's message. They were baptized with John's baptism. It's because they had never heard it before. And if you've never heard it, you can't receive it. But once you hear it, you're empowered. You receive faith. Faith comes by that hearing. Faith to be saved comes by the hearing of the word of God. So what happens? Once you hear it, then the Bible says you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. He's Lord. And you believe in your heart. God raised him from the dead. The Bible says if you do those two things then you shall be saved. Confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord. Believe in your heart, God raised him from the dead. You will, not might be, you will be saved. You will be saved. Okay? Let me tell you what the Bible does not say. The Bible does not say uh, that when you're getting saved, you need to confess every sin you've ever committed. (laughs) Let me just hit that real quick. Doesn't say that you confess every sin you've ever committed. I've, I've, I've heard people preach and teach that, you know, you come confess your sins. No, that's not how you get saved. First of all, if your salvation was based upon confessing your sins, what if you forgot one? What if you can't remember every sin you've ever committed? Is your salvation still valid? If, if you have to confess your sins in order to be saved, you, you see what I'm saying? What if you can't remember? Every, I, can't re, I can't remember everything that's going on in my life. I can't remember all the things over the 41 years that I've lived. Can you imagine if you got saved at 50 and you had to go back through and remember every single thing you did that was offensive to God, everything you did that broke his commands, And he said, now, Lord, I also stole that time. I lied those three times in the March of 1984. And then, Lord, you remember there was the time I cheated on my taxes in 1991. You can't remember all the things you ever did that broke God's word. And that's not what salvation's based upon. It's not based upon you confessing your sins. Paul's clear about this. The prayer of repentance is you. You already understand you're a sinner. You already understand that you need to repent of sin. But you're repenting from a life of sin and turning. What is repentance? It's to turn and go the other way. That's what repentance is. It's not confessing every last thing that you've ever done. No. And I'll get to 1 John 1 in a moment. But, but understand something. It's, true repentance is turning from one way of doing things and going to the other way of doing things. It's a turnaround. So true repentance is understanding, yes, I, I, I am a sinner. I need a Savior. And I recognize who that Savior is. It's Jesus who is the Christ, the Son of God, the Messiah. And I receive what he did for me through redemption process. I confess he is Lord of all. He is Lord of all. And I, I truly believe in my heart that God raised Jesus from the dead. That's not, a you know... The reason I say it this way, that's not a figurative thing. God didn't figuratively raise Jesus from the dead. He literally raised his dead, decomposing body out of the grave, got him up and out to the point where they showed up and his body is no longer there. No longer there. Chuck, Bobby, asking for a friend. I'm going to, I'm going to answer that question in a moment. What if you sinned against someone, say your spouse, do you need to confess your sin to them or someone just FYI, this isn't for me laughing emoji, just curious, asking for a friend. Um, I'll, I'll get to that in a moment. I'll get to that in a second. I'm talking about living. You were a sinner living in a life of sin. And now you're coming into the kingdom of God. You don't come into the kingdom of God by confessing every sin you've ever committed. You confess Jesus is Lord. That's why I don't call it the sinner's prayer. I call it the prayer of salvation. It's the prayer of salvation. And when I pray with people, what do we say? I say, thank you, Lord, for sending Jesus to die for me. I ask you, forgive me of all sin and make me new. Give me the power to live for you. I confess Jesus is Lord. And I believe you raised him from the dead. That's what the Bible says to do, to confess that Jesus is Lord. So the quick question is, what's the difference between Savior and Lord? I taught on this a little bit on Sunday. The difference between Savior and Lord is a Savior can save your life, but a Lord is in control of your life. Let me say that again. A Savior can save your life, but a Lord is in control of your life. Big difference. So what's the difference? If I maybe if I saw you drowning in a river and I helped you out, put a held out a branch or threw you a rope or a life preserver and pulled you up onto the shore. I just saved your life. But just because I saved your life from drowning doesn't mean you have to obey me for the rest of your life. Now that you're alive, I'm your savior, but I'm not your Lord. That's the difference between Jesus. He's your savior, but he's also your Lord which means that now that he's saved you, you have to do what he says. That's what the word of God is, what he says. And so that's the difference. We're confessing Jesus is now Lord. He's Lord over my life. I will do what he says. I'm gonna become a disciple of Christ. That's what a Lord is. And I believe that God raised him from the dead. He said, if you do those two things, you will be saved. Not you might be saved. That's why I don't believe in false conversions. I don't believe people are either saved or they're not saved. There's some denominations that teach that if somebody appeared to be saved and then they go back to living a life of sin, that was a false conversion. No, it's just that they didn't take control over their flesh, went back to living a life of sin. God will never walk away from your covenant, but you can walk away from your covenant. No question about it. The book of James teaches that. That if you see someone that's wandering away from the truth, go and speak to that person. Try to win them back. And the Bible says, and anyone who brings the sinner back. So you can walk away from the truth. You can walk away from the faith and become a sinner again. The Bible's clear about that. It's not a false conversion. Also, who are all these people judging everybody's salvation? What do you have like a PhD in whether whether or not somebody's saved? Do you have direct access to the book of life? It's God's job to judge who's his and who's not his. Now we can know them by their fruit, the Bible says, no question about that. I can know them by their fruit, but I can't, I'm not gonna sit around and judge who's going to heaven and who's not going to heaven, that's God's job. I preach the gospel, give people an opportunity to be saved. And if they respond, I don't say, well, we'll see if you're saved in about six months. No, if you confess Jesus as Lord and you truly believe in your heart, God raised him from the dead. You're saved. You're saved. The Bible says you are saved. So that's how you come in. That's what the prayer of uh, salvation. That's what the prayer of repentance is. It's the first and only prayer God will ever hear from a sinner. And then you become a Christian and God hears all your prayers, but, but catch this now. People say, what about first John one nine? What about when you sin or commit a sin after you get saved? You don't have to get saved all over again. I've been in churches, uh, preaching as an evangelist. I'll be there for a whole week and I'll see the same person will get saved every single night. It's like how much sin can you have committed in one day that you have to get saved every single night? Well, it's not that it's just that they don't understand Righteousness. They don't understand the position of righteousness. They don't understand that if you're a believer and you commit sin, and yes, it is possible for a believer to commit sin. I know that sounds simple, but there are people that, uh, that believe, you know, that once you become a, a Christian, it's impossible for you to sin. It's not impossible for you to sin. That's why we're given instruction in first John one, nine, which by the way is written to believers. The whole thing first John one, nine, it says, um, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And so when you're praying, when you're praying, if you've committed sin, confess that sin to God, ask for forgiveness, he's faithful and just, he'll forgive you, cleanse you from all unrighteousness. No question about it. Some, and the, to answer the question earlier, somebody said, what if you sin against somebody else? Or what if someone sins against you? The question is, the Bible, clear what Jesus told us to do. If you have something against your brother, they've sinned against you. (laughs) The disciples said, Jesus, how often should we, should we forgive people who sin against us? Seven times? He said, no, 70 times seven. That means 490 times in one day. If they commit the same sin against you, 490 times, you should forgive them. Jesus is really telling them, he said infinitely, you know, there's no limit to how much you should forgive somebody, right? And so uh, if, you comm- if you have something against your brother or sister, if they've sinned against you or if you've sinned against someone, uh, that's why Paul taught in 1 Corinthians 11, if you come to the altar and you recognize, you're getting ready to take the, the Lord's Supper and you recognize you have something against someone, you should make it right. You should make it right. There's a, even the Bible even says, if you're coming to the altar with a sacrifice for God, and remember, you have something against someone, leave your sacrifice and go find that person to make it right and come back and give, give God the sacrifice. So it's your responsibility, if you've done something that brings an offense to another believer or even an unbeliever, that your responsibility is to go and to apologize and to repent and ask them to forgive you. If somebody has done something against you that could possibly cause offense or whatever, it's our responsibility, according to Scripture, to go to that person privately, not post it all over Facebook vaguely, not to t- put, put stuff in to DM everybody that you know on Instagram privately and talk, did you hear what he did to me? Did you hear what she said about me? No. The Bible says you go to that person privately, privately, and you try to reconcile with that person to smooth it out, to come back into unity as brothers or sisters in Christ, if they won't hear you, the Bible says, bring back two or three witnesses with you just to have proof that you're trying to work this thing out. And if they still won't receive you, if they still won't make it right, then the Bible says to get the church involved and bring church leadership into it. And if they still won't repent and bring and come into unity, the Bible says then have nothing more to do with them. Treat them like a tax collector and a Gentile. What that means is tax collector is that the Romans used to put Jewish people in charge of collecting taxes from the Jewish people. And it was known that they would skim off the top or collect more than they should. They were ripping off their own people. So the Jewish people looked at tax collectors as traitors, as traitors. So what Jesus is teaching is, if somebody won't receive you privately, or with witnesses, or with church leadership, and won't reconcile and come into unity with the brethren, then treat them like traitors because truly they are being traitors to the body of Christ. They refuse to walk in love and they refuse to walk in unity and forgiveness. Have nothing more to do with them and treat them like a traitor. And so that's how, that's how you do it. And when you do that, the Bible says you come back, you've won your brother, you come back into unity again and that's, the psalmist wrote how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell together in unity. Unity is what God wants. So that's the answer to the second question. If a Christian sins or if you've got something against somebody, if you've got something against somebody else, go make it right. So that's the prayer of repentance. That's number two. Number three is the prayer of praise. The prayer of praise. I want you to get this in your spirit, man. This is one of the most powerful uh, prayers. And praise is a form or a type of prayer because you're interacting with God. You're interacting with God. The prayer of praise, so powerful. It literally moves God's hand so quickly because God inhabits the praises of Israel. He inhabits, he lives in, dwells in the praises of Israel. Psalm 22 and verse 3. When we begin to praise God, we are activating his presence that's already in us and around us. God's omnipresent. He's everywhere. David said, if if I find my soul in Sheol, you are there. There's nowhere that God isn't. He's omnipresent. And when we praise him, it attracts his power and activates his presence. Happened all through the Old Testament, happened all through the New Testament. As people began to praise God, it activated his power and his presence on their behalf. Hallelujah. On their behalf. In 2 Kings 19, Judah is surrounded by 185,000 soldiers, King Sennacherib leading the charge and trying to kill King Hezekiah and the people of Judah. It was a national tragedy. It was a national crisis. So the evil king, Sennacherib, sends a threatening letter into Judah, mocking God and mocking the power of God and saying, your God really doesn't matter. We're going to take you into captivity anyway. We're going to destroy you, take your women and children captive, and we're going to tear down your altars and your temple, just like we did to every other nation that we fought against. So Hezekiah takes the letter. And he brings it into the temple. And starting in verse 14, the Bible says, um, Hezekiah, this is 2 Kings 19, 14, all the way to verse 19. Hezekiah received the letter from the hand of the messengers and read it. And Hezekiah went up to the house of the Lord and spread it before the Lord. And Hezekiah prayed before the Lord and said, O Lord, the God of Israel, enthroned above the cherubim, you are the God, you alone, of all the kingdoms of the earth. You have made heaven and earth. So, so look at that. Before he even asks for help, notice what he's doing. hes It's a prayer of praise. That's what he starts with. Come into his gates with thanksgiving. Come into his courts with praise. Notice before he asks for help from the enemy soldiers or King Sennacherib, he just starts praising God's greatness. Praising God's greatness. Look at this. He prayed and said, Lord, God, you, the God of Israel, enthroned above the cherubim, you are the God, you alone of all the kingdoms of the earth. You have made heaven and earth. He's talking about his creative power, talks about his station, talks about the fact that even the angels aren't above him, that he alone is the only true and living God. I mean, Hezekiah has given God praise. Then he begins to ask for help. Incline your ear, O Lord, and hear. Open your eyes, O Lord, and see. Hear the words of Sennacherib, which he sent to mock the living God. Truly, O Lord, the kings of Assyria have laid waste the nations of their lands and have cast their gods into the fire. For they were not gods, but the work of men's hands, wood and stone. Therefore, they were destroyed. So now, O Lord our God, save us, please, from his hand, that all the kingdoms of the earth may know that you, O Lord, are God alone. He finishes it with praise, too. Starts it with praise. Finishes it with praise. You're God alone. Let everybody see that you're the only living God, the only true God. And God answers this prayer simply by sending down one angel and killing all 185,000 soldiers in the night. One angel, one nameless angel killed every last one. And when they woke up in the morning, look at this. Verse 35, and that night, the angel of the Lord went out and struck down 185,000 in the camp of Assyrians. And when the people arose early in the morning, behold, there were all dead bodies and Sennacherib, king of Assyria departed and went home and lived in Nineveh, left them. You know, all, all Hezekiah had to do, praise God. Did they swing one sword? No. Did they launch one arrow? No. Did they hold up one shield? No. They just praised God and prayed. It was the prayer of praise. And God acted on their behalf and killed every enemy and set them free from that siege against Judah. Powerful. The prayer of praise moves the hand of God on your behalf. Let me give you a New Testament example. Prayer is great, but praise added to it. Attracts God's presence and his power. In Acts 12, Peter's arrested. And the church begins to pray. And all they're doing is praying. And God sends an angel and gets Peter out of prison. Opens the doors and leads him out. But in Acts chapter 16, it's a different story. Because now Paul and Silas are arrested. And at midnight, they not only began to pray but to sing praises unto God and all the prisoners heard them thank you Jesus all the prisoners heard them they were praising loudly singing loudly praying loudly the prisoners heard them and the Bible says and the whole jail began to shake with a mighty earthquake glory to God why? why was that? Because God inhabits the praises of his people. So he didn't need to send an angel for Paul and Silas. He came himself. You know what happens when God shows up? The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 3.17, now the Lord is a spirit. And where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. There, you can't remain in bondage and in chains when the Lord shows up. And he showed up as they praised and prayed. And that whole place shook. Now here's the powerful thought it wasn't just their chains that fell off and their door that came open. The Bible says, and every chain fell off every prisoner and every door of every cell came open. So much so that the jailer thought, I'm going to kill myself. I've failed. I've failed. They're going to kill me anyway. Might as well kill myself. And they had to cry out. Don't kill yourself. We're all still here. We're all still here. Catch it. As they praised, As they prayed, the jail shook, the doors opened, the chains fell off. There's power in praise. The prayer of praise is something you should do every single day. In fact, one of the things that I uh, taught in the book that we released called A Complete Guide to Biblical Fasting is that when we pray, I do a very specific thing. And to help people remember it, I called it a thanksgiving and praise sandwich. If you think about your, your requests to God as the, the meat and cheese and everything in the middle of the sandwich, the two pieces of bread on the outside are made up of thanksgiving and praise at the beginning and thanksgiving and praise at the end. And all of your requests are in the middle. Start off thanking God for what he's already done and begin to praise him for who he is and what he's already done in your life. Then make your requests known unto God. And then when you finish, thank him and praise him for what he's about to do. Things he hasn't even done yet. Things that the manifestation's not even been seen yet. But you're thanking him and praising him for what he's about to accomplish in your life. I'm telling you, when you do that, it's it's amazing how things change when you begin to praise God and thank God. Thanksgiving is a key to restoration of what was lost. I don't even have time to teach on all that today, but 10 lepers came to Jesus and he healed them. He said, go show yourself to the priest. And as they left, they were cleansed of leprosy, but one returned to do what? Give thanks. And as he gave thanks, Jesus told that one man, go your way for your faith has made you whole and a disease that eats your flesh and eats your body parts and causes you to lose That man, even Bible scholars will say and comment, this one man received a subsequent blessing that was different than what the other nine received. But what was the difference? This man was a man who returned to give thanks to Jesus. Thanksgiving, it allows God to restore to you what was already lost, a thankful heart. Restoration, thanksgiving and praise. Start your prayer with thanksgiving and praise. Finish your prayers with thanksgiving and praise. The prayer of praise is so powerful, it quickly activates God's power in your life. I could take you one through the one one story through the next in the scripture. But praising God carries power alone. The prayer of praise. Kim said, How do you pray when you're in a hurtful trial? I prayed this morning for strength and comfort. The song It Is Well with My Soul instantly came to mind. I would pray Kim the same way that if if I wasn't in a hurtful trial, because I don't allow what's going on in the natural realm to affect my prayer life or my faith life. Because I believe the report of the Lord. So you, you may go through things where you feel hurt. You feel your emotions are under stress. You might feel where relationships are being broken or, you know, things are going on in your body or whatever it might be, but you pray with the same faith. You pray with the same word. You pray with the same fervor and vigor. Get into the spirit of God and let God touch you. Don't change your prayers because you're in a trial. Don't change your prayers because you're in the the middle of an attack, but pray with the same faith, pray with the same uh, vigor and fervor as you go after the presence of God and get bold, boldly approach the throne of grace because you're going to find help in the time of need. So uh, just pray in faith, pray the word of God and stay faithful and consistent in your prayer. And I'm telling you, I I believe with all my heart that people don't do this enough, but spend more time praising God. Do you know that if we would sufficiently praise God, there are things we'd never have to pray about. If we would sufficiently praise God. And again, we're coming back at 12 noon today for our half an hour of prayer. I want every one of you to join me right back here at noon. We're going to pray for 30 minutes and we're going to press in. And God's going to touch us. He's changing our families. He's changing our nation. He's changing our businesses, our ministries. Everything we set our hand to do is changing. And so uh, it's very important that we praise God. You know, one time uh, as Brother Hagin was studying this passage, I found it interesting. I read his, his um, book and then also listened to his teaching on this. He said, and I think he was quoting something that um, God had showed Lillian B. Yeoman, she was uh, the one who wrote the book Healing from Heaven, wrote many poems. God used her in the, in the area of healing. But there's a vision where on old scales, like the scales of justice, you could see the old scales, and uh, one scale was way up in the sky, and the other one was weighted down to the ground. And when he saw into the one scale that was weighted down to the ground, it said Prayer. And then the Lord allowed him to see up into the scale that was way up in the sky, and it said praise. And the Lord spoke very clearly and said, when my people's praise equals their prayer, breakthroughs will come. When my people's praise equals their prayer, breakthroughs will come. Well, that's what Paul and Silas saw. That's what Hezekiah saw. That's what people saw throughout the whole scripture, is that when our praise equals our prayer, breakthroughs will come. What happened in Second Chronicles 20? They were going out against 3 enemy armies, 3 enemy armies that were there to kill them. And they sent Judah first with instruments to do what? Praise God. Praise God. And as they were praising God, what happened? The Lord fought their battle for them. The battle's not your battle. The battle belongs to the Lord. Hallelujah. The battle belongs to the Lord. I'm convinced that if we would sufficiently praise God, then we would not, there were, there'd be certain things we would never have to pray about. We'd never have to pray about. Because as we praised God, breakthroughs would already begin. Turnarounds would already begin. You know, um, Bishop David Oyedepo, pastor of the largest church in the world, said, Praise is always more powerful than prayer. Because, and though it's a type of prayer, God only answers our prayers, but he lives in our praise. He lives in our praise. He also said, it is the quickest access to the presence of God. Praise is the quickest access. He used the word cheapest. It is the cheapest access into the presence of God, no question praise is the cheapest access you instantly find yourself why because God inhabits the praises of his people what happens when you get into his presence there's fullness of joy at his right hand there are pleasures forevermore that's what I'm teaching you today the, this this prayer of praise it changes everything my daughter was in the hospital both my daughters were in the hospital and we began to praise God and pray and thank him for his goodness and his mercy and his power and his grace. And there was a turnaround for both da- for both daughters. We said, we're not putting up with this with a third child. And God set both of them free when they were very little by his power. By his power, by praising him, by praying. The prayer of praise, access, the quickest access into the presence of God. And the joy of the Lord is our strength, Gina. And when we begin to praise God, not only do we enter into his presence where there's fullness of joy, but as Gina wrote in the comments, the joy of the Lord is our strength. So as we praise, it's not just access to joy, it's access to strength. It's access to everything that's in God's presence, power, provision, healing, breakthrough, everything, everything. And so I'm telling you today, that's why this week is such an important week, this series, because we need to understand that there's not just one type of prayer. In fact, I see in the Bible nine different types of prayer that we're covering this week. And it's important because we need to know how to utilize each of those different types of prayer. When do you use it? There's certain things, and I'll touch on it this week. But for years, maybe you heard people pray and say, Lord, if it be thy will, if it be thy will, There are certain prayers, you don't use the phrase, if it be thy will. Lord, if it's your will, you don't pray that and use that phrase with the prayer of faith. Because the Bible says a double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. And that type of a man should not believe he'll receive anything from the Lord. James 1, six through eight. So catch this, there are certain prayers, you don't pray, Lord, if it's your will, you should already know what his will is from the word of God. That's why I said in prayer, the word of God is the most important element that we can have. It's the most important element we can have. You should already know what his will is on, t- uh, on healing. You should already know what his will is regarding the blessing of the Lord for your family. You should already know what his will is regarding your peace and your joy. All of those things. But when we come to a different type of prayer where we don't know yet God's will, maybe for our life. Like Jesus was praying, he prayed regarding his consecration in the Garden of Gethsemane. Lord, let this cup pass from me, but if there's no other way, then not my will, your will be done. If it's your will, let it, let it come. See, understand, there's a time to use the phrase, Lord, if it's your will. There's a time to use that phrase, but it's not when you're praying the prayer of faith. So it's important to understand the rules that, we, that govern the prayers we're praying. That's why I'm doing this week of teaching, because we need to understand these nine types of prayer that God's given us in his word. Hallelujah. And as Dr. Cho once said, it's not just about knowing we should pray, but having the strong desire and urge to actually pray. And so, Father, I pray for every person that's watching me right now, and I ask you to give them a strong urge, a desire to spend more time in prayer, to seek your face and to, and to call out on you for help, to praise you, to worship you, to stay in your presence. I pray, Lord, you give every one of us a boldness to approach the throne of grace, to find uh, mercy and help in the time of need. I ask you, Lord, give every one of us a fresh hunger and a fresh desire to seek your face and pray. To spend extended times in prayer. Not just pray five minutes over the meal, five minutes over the meal or, or, or a good night before bed, but give us a heart and a hunger to spend extended times in prayer, to seek your face, to hear your voice, to be led by your spirit. In the mighty name of Jesus Christ, I thank you. Thank you for it. Amen. Now that's the stuff leaders should be made of.